loads of fucked up looking people doing fucked up shit. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. We're here. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Sam. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, thoroughly traumatized. Thanks for asking. <laughs> it's basking time. It is. Let's bask in the glow, the afterglow of fucking a goat. Yes. Uh, full disclosure, advance warning, etc., etc. This is not about Carol Baskin from the popular TV show Tiger King. No, sir, no, ma'am. It is very much the polar opposite on the spectrum. It is a 2015. Turkish horror film directed by Khan Evrenol, written by him and I, and I guess some mates. I don't know who the, who the people are. Some buds. Based on a short film by the same dude, correct? Yeah. So I saw the short film at Fright Fest in, what, 2013, 2014? Mm-hmm. I'd seen a couple of his other shorts previous to that. He made one called uh, To My Mother and Father, which was shot in a kind of assy way, but like mm-hmm. fucking horrible. Yeah. Yeah, he was like... So it was shot like ass and it was horrible. Like, wow. it was, it sort of looked like it was shot on a camcorder. Okay. Like a cheap camcorder with bad lighting. But like it was was very much in the Baskin space, early doors, okay. with, with some really good practical effects. So that's your first your first taste of the goods. The canned goods. What, what came next? Um, so the next thing I saw from him was another short, also at Fright Fest. Where they did like a bunch of these like turn your phone off, tongue in cheek things, and he directed one of them. I think his might have been the best one. And then Baskin came out. Uh the short, I think what, 2013, 2014? Yeah, 2013, I read. And then he toddled off and made it into a feature. And for us, a modern movie, 2015. Absolutely. Is that our most modern feature thus far? Yeah, it is. Thus far. I mean that's a a huge leap for us up into the uh, the the, the noughties, noughties. Yeah, well, our last most recent was Splinter, wasn't it? Two thousand eight. Correct. Yeah. So what made you uh, what made you want to do Baskin? What made you want to go into this uh, fucking world? Well, I'd seen it before. I'd really been affected by it, mm. uh, and I wanted to put you through it. <laughs> That seems to be a running theme. Um, I'm, while I'm flattered to be the motivation for this, the why remains. Uh, what was it about this movie that you found uh, so immediately impactful on your soul and your psyche that you wanted to inflict it on an innocent bystander and someone you call a friend? It's a challenging film, but I think mm. it's quite rewarding. It's really well made and it looks incredible. And we'll get into all of this in the proper review, but like, I just think there's something pretty special about it, and and it's mm. it's sort of unique in its horribleness. It certainly is unique. Yeah. Why don't you lead the charge over the the mighty bridge between worlds and give us a little bit of a synopsis, if you will? Okay. So synopsis. I wrote one out because I'm, I've started doing that now, just in case. Nice. Okay. Four shithead cops. Answer a backup call to a nearby spooky MacGuffin place. On their way there, they hit a mysterious person with their van who disappears. Uh, and then they crash into a lake. 
mm-hmm. crash into a lake? Do you sort of drive into a lake? Oh, they crash into that lake. I think that's bang on. Yeah. Okay. They make it out of the crash without any major damage, uh, so it seems. And then they trek on to the backup call where they ultimately end up crossing a threshold into hell, or into a hell dimension at least, ruled by Baba, which means father in Turkish, where they are summarily fucked up in all kinds of ways until the movie ends. (laughs) That's the movie I watched, for sure. (laughs) And in those uh, cracks, creases and crevices, we're treated to a veritable cornucopia of uh, visual treats and plot twists and horrible, horrible messy deaths. So where do you want to start with this? Well, why don't we take a little break and we'll come back. Now you're talking. Yep. Uh, and we'll get we'll get right into it. I'm gonna put my feet up real quick. I just need a moment to to recover. <laughs> Still recovering. Will you give it up, man? Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Sam. Yep. Have you ever jumped in Lake Michigan? <laughs> And swam out as far as you can. No, I haven't, but uh, I know somebody who has. Who's that? Deanna from the band Sincere Engineer. Oh, nice. That's uh, that's who I was thinking of also. Fueled by corn dogs and rage, just out there. You know, she's one of the most intelligent humans I've ever met. Really? Yeah, she's the best man. I mean, the whole band is you know chock full of great humans. We played War on Christmas together last year. Fast friends, good people, love that shit. Well, that record, Robithian, is so good. Constant play around the, the Carruthers household. Sincere engineer. Red Scare Industries. What a combo. No longer together. We mourn the loss. Yeah. It's uh, it's all hopeless now, isn't it? Yeah, it's game over. It's all downhill from here. Twenty The 20 year mark, it's all downhill. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Deanna. You'll never listen to this, but we love you. Sincere engineer, man. Great record. Huge fan. Oof, what a break. That was lovely. That How are you was feeling? lovely. Yeah, I feel, I feel much better. I feel... Mm, refreshed. I feel like my synapses are firing. Fuck yeah. Let's get, them, let's get them flaming. So, give me your first impressions of Baskin. My first impressions could not be simpler. I enjoyed two-thirds of the movie, and then one-third, I did not enjoy one little bit. <laughs> Did you chronologically? I think you can guess which way around it went. Did you not enjoy it in a good way? I I have very mixed feelings about the final third of this movie. If I'm being totally honest, I I found the first two thirds of this movie to be wholly engrossing and filled with little treats. I I just thought it was it didn't feel as hard earned as as the movie was kind of trying to make it. Uh, I think. It, it tries and fails at a lot of things quite admirably. It tries and succeeds at a lot more things really, really well. And I felt like I was being treated to a whole load of fantastic visuals, some clever plotting, some pretty decent characters, some fun. And then there's a point in the movie where the entire tone shifts radically in a totally new direction. And that was the part for me where I found myself faced with a choice. <laughs> as to how much I was going to enjoy the movie. I chose to try and enjoy it as much as humanly possible, but it didn't quite pan out that way. So I think it's probably best if we talk about that tonal shift. The choice is to fuck the goat lady (laughs) or to be cajoled 
physically into fucking the goat lady. That is well, the choice well, there, that the movie gives you. Well, there's the rub. There is no choice. <laughs> he has to fuck the goat lady. Yeah, the choice is you do it willingly. Right. Or you do it painfully. Yeah, what kind of choice is that, dude? <laughs> That's the choice that Baskin gives us. Now, throughout the movie, you know, I was acutely aware that I was watching something that was that was probably headed somewhere pretty terrible, based mainly on the cover and the tiny little snippet of text that I'd read that acted as a, a synopsis online. But I also knew that I was seeing something pretty beautiful and pretty layered. So... I mean, how do you want to go into this? Do you want to talk a little bit about the early part of the movie and build chronologically to the end? That makes sense to me. Well, why don't I start and give you a bit of background on the production and like where the film yeah. came from? Mm. Yes, please. So, Can Everall, as we said, made a bunch of short films and he'd hoped to sort of translate some of the success that he's had with short films over the years. They played a lot of festivals and he hoped to sort of transfer that into some feature length success. Mm. but it never just it never really happened in the way that he wanted it to. He decided to make Baskin, which was based on a feature-length script that he'd written, and he decided to make it as basically as a proof-of-concept short film that he could show at festivals and shop around in the hopes that someone would option it and it would become a feature. It's kind of worked. It got shown at a bunch of festivals and was initially optioned by Eli Roth, for six months, mm. who um, wanted to make it into a feature, it never really went anywhere. But the that that failure ultimately got canned in front of a bunch of execs at other studios and other production houses. Again, this didn't yield anything. Uh, ultimately, his parents remortgaged their houses and helped him finance the movie that way. But what that meant was that the people knew his name and knew his pedigree when it came time to try and release the movie, which is why people outside of Turkey know about one Turkish movie. Right. <laughs> I mean, case in point, the yeah. only Turkish horror movie I've ever seen. Exactly. The other Turkish films I've seen, I've seen Turkish Superman. I've seen Turkish <laughs> Star Wars. Like, these are the Turkish films that I've seen. They have Turkish at the start. Well, I don't think they're actually the called that, but they're, it's Turkish Superman is a... Stone Cold ripoff of Superman. Okay. I thought for a minute that these were movies called Turkish Superman and it was classic old Superman but a Turkish dude. I mean it basically is. But this it's could be a pretty good subgenre. But it's um but yeah, it's I don't think it's actually called Turkish Superman, but it's that's how it's marketed outside of I Turkey. I really want it to be called that. My frame of reference for Turkish art in general is pretty narrow, especially, you know. I mean, I've read some more Han Pamuk and uh, watched this movie, and that's about it. So <laughs> this was all new to me. Yeah. After Can got the budgets together, he shot this film over 28 nights, zero permits, zero permission. And it really feels like it. Like, you feel like mm. in this movie, you're in a place that you're not supposed to be. Yeah, it's got a real edge lands feel to it. Like it also feels like this is a real place. Like they just found it. They stumbled into this hell building, and like you, what you took a few frogs and a few blood eggs around, and Bob's your movie. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling of uh, we found this decay, and therefore we're going to lean into it and 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 use it, you know, for our sick, twisted gains. 
I mean, it's it's interesting how fully formed the the short is. Mm. It's got a bunch of the same actors in it. The guy that plays Arda is the same guy. The guy that plays Yavuz is the same. Mehmet Karehoglu. Karehoglu. I don't know how we're saying. I'm going to try not to say names as much as possible because I, I hate butchering people's names and I have no frame of reference for how you pronounce this surname. I'm going to say the bit of the name that I can pronounce. Mehmet. Uh, I, do you know what? I actually... Maybe this is a an edit out thing, but I always I used to do this with my classes at the start of the school year. I'd go through and learn to pronounce every single name with YouTube, and I thought I'd done that with this. And then I remembered that you can actually say these names in lots of different ways depending on lots of different things. Yeah, like the so, region or the yeah yeah. So yeah, so yeah. the character uh, Mamet uh, Karahoglu is in there playing a different role, not the primary antagonist, but he's in there. It's a bit more coherent, basically because of its brevity. It's not a plot. It's you see four cops. They go to a place. Fucked up shit happens. The end. I mean, ultimately, that is the plot of this movie. Yeah, and some of the criticism I'd read about this movie online said that it was better as a short because it was tighter. What, did you have any thoughts about that from the outset? I prefer the feature. I think. Mm-hmm. I think there being more characters, like more characterization, makes it feel like like there are actual stakes hmm. like there are no stakes in the short because it's cops you don't like them you don't hate them they're just there you sort of hate them because they're cops and that's who you are as a person hmm. i'm speaking in generalities here because everybody in the world hates cops right well fingers crossed it's not much to ask is it well you used the phrase shithead cops in your introduction i mean yes of course but in this movie in particular do you see these you know these cops as shithead cops absolutely this this Mm. film hates cops and it wants you to hate cops and it wants you to feel conflicted about who you side with like shithead cops or the literal devil who's your boy the devil or the police like i guess like arda and Ramsey eventually has some redeeming qualities Mm -hmm. and they they ultimately become the the heroic pair but they're still cops. <laughs> but they're still cops. And also, Ramsey at the beginning wants or allows Yavuz to beat up the waiter. And is mm. literally like, just beat him up or whatever he says. I'll, I'll yeah. take your gun so you don't shoot him. But you yeah. can just beat him up. Like that's I, lo- I do love the lawless. Behavior. Yeah, that is, that's, that's not what we would call good cop behavior for sure. It's totally expected in a lot of ways. I love the kind of distinction between cops and lawlessness all in one little van like the, you know that's what i love about um bad lieutenant movies like that any movie with a corrupt cop i'm in i love it i love the immediate tension it provides i love the sort of slow unspooling of mayhem that tends to happen around that situation basically at every turn so as soon as i saw that these cops weren't exactly straight and narrow uniform belt and braces by the book beat boys I realized that we were in for some kind of treat because there's always a moral conflict. There's always a kind of a social conflict there. So when we're presented with these characters and they're essentially plain clothes goons, I was pumped. I was ready. Yeah, like not only are they cops that brag about sleeping with prostitutes, that, that brag about like getting violent and fucking people up, they also like football, Sam. They do like football and they like fucking chickens and the yeah. two go hand in hand. <laughs> they at one point did 
am I remembering this right or am I a racist? Did one of them say that 70% of Turkish men lose their virginity to animals? Yes, he did. <laughs> okay. That's a, a fact-checked statistic that we can verify here on the podcast. <laughs> Early in the movie, I, I think the way that we're introduced to these characters is through their, their banter. Yeah. Uh, through the way that they are bragging about fucking animals and the way they're bragging about fucking hookers who end up to have huge dicks and the way that they're bragging generally about themselves. And off to, off to one side, we have one of the cops who has a terrible headache. Yeah. Is that is it Safi has, has the headache? Yeah, Safi, he's having a weird time. I thought he was hungover at first. What's the deal? Like, I don't know what his actual situation is, but he's there to make you feel like stuff is weird and fucked up. Hmm. A lot of this early, the early part of the film, I mean, the, the entire film really, but a lot of this early part of the film has this uneasy sort of lurking dread Mm. weird tension that sort of smothers everything and he's a big part of that just like this weird feeling of this this guy who's these people are having a reservoir dogs tarantino style conversation over here and there's just this Mm. one guy melting down in like next to them and it's just designed to make you feel like something's not right here is that my role on a night out then? Because that's basically what I bring to any social <laughs> event. I don't think that's true. I think you're Mr. Pink. <laughs> Mr. Pink, thanks. I'll take that. That's uh, that's high praise. I, I I think the a lot of that simmering tension and uh, you know that slow creeping dread comes from stuff like really long, really close, intense shots of mm. cutting meat and people walking around creepy sort of wet-looking car parks with buckets of anonymous mystery meat, you know, hooded figures slipping in the back door and, um, you know, this slow sort of planting of the idea that this narrative isn't quite what it seems. You know, we have a a scene of a young kid that opens the movie and he hears his parents fucking and he goes out to have a really bloody good listen. And then then he's, (laughs) you know, beckoned into a room by a kind of spectral, gore-drenched hand. Um, and then we cut to these cops having the time of their lives. And already we're sort of being slowly fed the idea that there's going to be some kind of whiplash transitions here and you're not always going to know where you stand. So I think it, I think that's planted quite well and it does build throughout the movie. Yeah. But yeah, you know, Sophie ultimately runs off and spews in the toilet. And that's when we're treated to our first, I think, semi... I don't know. I, I'm... I'm reluctant to say surreal because I might overuse it, but it is a slightly surreal visual of the frog in the uh, soap dish. Yeah, you also get a little glimpse of what I think is Baba behind him at one point. Oh, interesting. Well, in like when he, when he screams in the mirror, yeah. Right. Um, he sees a little a little guy behind him. And we think, How much of the um, folkloric, religious side of this movie do you want to go into? Quite a lot, I think. So I... I have some thoughts, so let's get into that a little bit later because I have some pretty deep-ish thoughts. I don't know if, if you did much reading around it. I did some, yeah, but I'm I'm ready for the deep dicking of your folklore. When you're watching a film that's not in your native language, sometimes I think it's hard to understand that performances maybe aren't that great. I think mm. I think you can maybe get away with a lot when you're experiencing a, a performance via subtitles mm. but i think um in that sort of scene where they're bullshitting in the restaurant i think it's fairly clear that 
these aren't seasoned professional actors at this point. And I think it's a bit annoying. And you don't really believe that they would hang out if not for the circumstance of work. But the the scene where they Wayne's World along to that song in the car, yeah, I genuinely believe that they are great friends. I think, yeah, in that scene, they definitely are. Like, uh, just a bunch of Turkish lads being Turkish lads in that scene, yeah. I think. I, I, I buy the friendship early on, and I buy the, the macho bullshit tension of cops trying to impress each other. Yeah. I think you're right. Your attention is pulled a little bit by subtitles. You're not you know, paying as much attention to maybe like the facial nuance of the delivery or, you know, some of the, you know, the sort of quick fire response stuff is lost in your kind of catch up reading, et cetera, et cetera. But what I loved is that in the subtitles, they were calling each other dude and bro all yeah. the time. <laughs> I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, if we're doing kind of a end to end thing here, I found the performances to be pretty great. Uh, you know, I would not, if you'd said to me, this movie features the top Turkish talent of the day i'd be like great let's go and i would believe you Mm. if you told me it featured you know average to poor performances from rank amateurs i'd be like well i see a bit of that but i was way more on the side of you know these guys can act and it's worth saying guys because this movie is a total sausage fest absolutely i think if we're talking about the performances the absolute oscar for best performance in baskin which is a very niche oscar i don't know why they bought it Having the biggest dick in the kindergarten right there. Yeah. <laughs> best perform Oscar for best performance in the movie Baskin. I mean it's 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 Baba, right? He is incredible. Hard pass. Really? <laughs> I think uh for my money that Yavuz is the best. He wins the Oscar because he's just such a convincing Turkish cop to me. So I thought I thought Baba was really intense and smoldering and like it's it's an amazing performance and if it, it could feel kind of gross and exploitative could <laughs> i i think he's just being himself <laughs> think that guy is like that all the time i don't think so i want to meet him and, and put it to bed once and for all not him i don't want to put him to yeah i do i want to smack his bum and put him to bed because that was a naughty performance i guarantee some of that wasn't in the script Young man. Well, he was really involved with like developing that character. Yes, understandable. Yeah, he he does live it fully to the max. I just can't, you know, as an award giving body, I can't give credence to a performance so absolutely disgusting from front to back. I'd rather give it to Yavos just for the way he smokes a cigarette. That's that's <laughs> how shallow I am. Well, I think maybe this is your expulsion from the academy. Could be. It had to happen sometime. You can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, I, I I do agree. His performance is pretty fucking superb. It's so unnerving and like, I don't know, like, like I say, it could feel exploitative to cast an actor with a facial deformity. Mm. There's a there's a film called The Sentinel that was directed by what's his name from those fucking insurance adverts, Michael Winner. Okay, calm down, dear. That guy. Yeah. Where he uses people with facial deformities in like a scene to represent like demons climbing out of hell. And it's, Mm. it feels gross and not for the reason that he's going for. It just feels like this is stone cold exploitation. Yeah. Whereas I think this guy being more involved in creating the character, building the character, I don't know. It just really works for me. I think that negates exploitation. If you have a performer, 
who is invested in the process and the character and is consenting and is able to do so you know i, I don't i don't see a problem at all i i think the definition of exploitation cinema is pretty obvious somebody is being exploited for the gain of somebody else and i think in in this situation it, it doesn't seem or feel like that at all i mean we have a wonderful and storied history of exploitation in in hollywood and in cinema all over the globe um but this doesn't feel like it it takes takes part in that really it, it just feels like really good casting yeah so you 100 percent back this performance the casting his delivery of some slightly questionable lines of dialogue i think is is uh, what sells it for me he has to say some lines that could be from a, a different actor's less intense lips somewhat throw away yeah. or you know exposition drippy kind of too much yeah you also get that a little bit because it's like there's like a barrier between the performance and, and you because of the subtitles yeah so like it might be that the translation is a bit off or like you don't get quite the, the nuance of the where the emphasis is in the sentence and things like there could that could be more poetry to it that, yeah. that we lose in translation for sure but i think in general when he's on screen there's not a single second that i don't believe that he is the devil mm. i just don't like the performance <laughs> i respect it i think it's absolutely bang on it's just uh it just makes you feel icky in your pants yeah, it like in all of my pants, even the ones in the cupboard, like <laughs> all of them. But, you know, that being said, I think there are some absolutely outstanding performances and not just in that really fucking patronizing for people who aren't professional actors kind of way. I think they, you know, every single person in this movie, honestly, without exception, I think really delivers. I don't. I don't see this as like a B-rate cast, you know, trying to live up to like an A-rate script or anything like that. I think it's it's really well acted from start to finish to me. There's some some moments of terror that I found maybe less believable than some of the other more earnest moments. Maybe it's slightly easier to act uh, like your mates with a bunch of idiot cops than it is to act like you're beholding the squirming throngs of hell. But whichever way you slice it, I, I wasn't taken out of the movie by the performances in any way. No, fair Mad enough. respect. It's shot so beautifully isn't it yeah the, i mean the first two thirds of this movie i'm not going to keep saying that but it, it's really majestically shot there are some real like i kind of want to pause it and stare at this and take it in moments in in the the early parts of this movie there's like a meme type thing going around at the moment where like people play a scene of a film and a, a, an app or something i don't know some one of those apps that they have now Heard of him. Yeah, captures a, a moment of it and makes it into an album cover. Right. And like basically any scene from this movie, any shot from this movie could be a painting, could be an album cover. It's got real, reminded me of like painters like like Bosch or Goya or Bruegel, like any of those, any of those people that sort of dabble with the occult and the, the hellish in there. It's got a beautiful palette you know the color work is brilliant there's some i mean it's not just the sort of still frame shots that work really well for me you know if you've watched the movie it's obvious that these are really beautiful shots and they're really mm. well constructed and they're all at night which again we got to give so much credit to you know this crew for filming this stunning movie all at night and pretty guerrilla style but but some of the placements of the camera are just really clever there's a shot early in the movie in in one of the restaurants 
where the camera is kind of above a ceiling fan and it just drops down below it really subtly and it's a fantastic shot there's a shot that goes in the back window of a van like a tracking shot like i think it's supposed to be from bubba's walking perspective a lot of these movement shots that could be done really badly and could be clunky and could completely ruin the flow of the movie are just expertly executed there's shots inside the police station looking downwards into the stone stairwells that are just absolutely nauseating like serious vertigo shots and and everything is strung together it's not just like a series of beautiful vignette shots that sometimes you get in you know semi-independent cinema or low budget movies that are kind of tasked with carrying a shoddy narrative these are really beautiful dreamlike sequences that link together why you know i've read read some criticism of this but what i think is actually quite a strong narrative driving towards a truly apocalyptic climax and that's that's what cinematography is right that's what great cinematography does absolutely so I've got nothing but praise for how this movie is shot and how it looks it looks fucking gorgeous yeah i think there's so much weird stuff done with the camera as well that just makes you feel uncomfortable mm. like there's that shot at, uh, at the beginning i think is the, the one that you're talking about where the steadicam it's almost like a really slow version of that evil dead yeah which is just incredible really nice yeah, it's just meandering slowly towards yeah. the characters. It's got that Jaws Evil Dead feel into it, but it's tasteful. It's not rushed. It's it's it feels confident. It's really strong. Yeah, and there's like random shots that are just upside down. I mean, I say random. Oh. Not, it's not random. It's 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 designed to make you think and feel a certain way. But it's incredible. And like, I think some... that's my favorite shot of the movie is the, the 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 police van driving across the bridge. It comes at them, and then the whole world tilts upside down you see the the van driving off feels like a simple move and it feels something maybe to a you know a sort of jaded western audience maybe feels like a, a slightly obvious visual trick but to me that was the big turning point in the movie literally turning mm. you know that's what said to me okay here we go something pretty substantial uh, there's a paradigm shift coming keep your eyes peeled i think my favorite shot of the movie uh, it takes place in the restaurant in like one of the sort of weird dreamy sequences. I mean, it's all weird mm. dreamy sequences, right? But like, yeah, this one for sure. And it's like it's like a dolly zoom. We all love a dolly zoom. Fuck yeah! But I'm all I'm pretty sure that the table and the chairs are also on a dolly track because it like it it it's a dolly zoom and then some. It feels so so intense and so fast that I also think, as well as the the pan in. Or the the shift in dolly in and and zoom out. I think also Arda is moving in that shot as well, which just adds oh, an extra nice. insane layer to it. Yeah, because you don't just pull that off first try, do you? There's some serious, and in a 28 day shoot, there's a lot that goes into that, given yeah. the level of complexity of this movie. I think that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and everything just sort of lingers for way beyond what you would consider appropriate, mm -hmm. but on purpose to make you feel fucking weird yeah as a horror device i think the whole lingering on a slightly unsettling shot to give you enough time to think about it to process it the more the more of these kind of movies we do the more the more movies you give me the more of this i'm presented with and from right back to the burning you know what do we say about the burning there's loads of long lingering uncomfortable shots yeah it's the same here long lingering uncomfortable shots of cooking meat like it's just so unsettling and that's deliberate like you said there's nothing random in this movie that's a, a deliberate attempt to fill you with unease i think it, uh, it happens sometimes in shots that 
where basically nothing is happening. The van yeah. is sort of driving away slowly and just watching it from a fixed point in the road just get smaller and smaller as it drives away. And you're like, I want to have some power in this relationship, but I am <laughs> yeah. entirely powerless and I'm just watching the movie drive away. Yeah, I've been left behind. Yeah. The story has gone on without me. They, you, you can even hear uh, chatter and music fading off into the distance and you're just left with the sound of the night and a clicking sign. And you think, oh shit. Uh, where do I go now? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're completely alone. It's like it's so disorienting. It's it's yeah. it's masterful. I think. Yeah. From like a what first time feature director, mm. I think it's worth saying that like Can Everdell is Turkish. He studied film at Canterbury in the UK, so he probably has this pretty sort of fucked up sense of like filmmaking, mm. like these two sort of colliding ideologies almost and it's, it's pretty clear that he is a big genre film fan i think yes. you can see a lot of dario argento in the in the lighting of this film and also For a lot sure. of like nicholas winding revin i got nods to old old hammer horror movies as well there yeah. was just little glimpses of kind of everything that you're raised with as a you know a kind of a classic english horror fan and somebody who likes american horror but then you know, it, it feels to me like a best of both worlds. Here's loads, here's like ladle upon ladle of Turkish folklore reference. Here's some crazy, horrible religious overtones. And here's Turkish language and here's authentic Turkish lo- locales and characters. And then here's a, a pretty thoroughly modern Western sensibility in terms of the storytelling and lots of risk taking. Like how brave for a first time feature director from Turkey to leave the audience by the side of the road in the Turkish wilderness as the movie careens off into the night. You know, it's such a bold move. I love it. Because of like the, the I want to say innate Turkishness of it, but I know so little about Turkey and what what, what it means to be Turkish. That mm. I'm guessing based on this movie alone. But like, it's such a completely different sensibility to what you're used to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it goes beyond even like what you what you get when you when you watch like a European movie from a country where you don't see an awful lot of European movies it feels like it's just building on all of the things that you already know it's using very familiar building blocks and then Mm. taking it into a I don't know skewering it with a with a different point of reference good kebab reference there I like that yeah it makes it feel very different and very weird and it's the it's the weirdness married with the kind of breadcrumb trail build up these dreamy camera placements these risky shots there's a shot where i think it's Ar- yeah arda's having a, a one of his famous dream sequences and he falls backwards into a huge pool of water and nothing that you expect happens but these gigantic hands reach into the water and it's obviously just a clever clever perspective shot but these huge hands in slow motion go into the water to scoop him out and that was the enduring image for me. And that couldn't be more uh, in contrast to what is probably the enduring image for most of the audience, which is the, the final third of the movie, which is all red hot torture. Um, but that cool, cold, silent, you know, giant pair of reaching hands into the water just stuck out for me as resonating so deeply with me about dreaming. You know, if you, if you, can, if you can tap into that universal experience of dreaming with a visual and a feeling and an atmosphere that resonates with an audience, you know, 
a broad audience, a wide audience, then you've you've hit onto something in terms of communicating your message as a movie maker that's essentially universal. I think that was an amazing shot. I think the defining image of this film for me is when Baba uh, pulls out a bit of Apo's intestines and then bites it and a bit of shit comes out. Yeah, that happens too. Do you think... That, <laughs> okay, real quick. Is that the most fucked up bit of the movie? What's the most fucked up bit of the movie for you? Uh, I mean, it's got to be when... when <laughs> <laughs> It's got to be when uh, Yazoo fucks the goat person. I thought that was fine. <laughs> the bit that really fucked me up, and I don't think this is in the script, okay? I think this is our man Mehmet going a little bit too far. The scene where he stabs Yavuz in the eye mm. with a little hooked knife and yet repeatedly stabs the eyeball. He then licks the wound. He sticks his tongue into the mashed up eyeball. It's a really quick shot, but it's really fucked up. I love that bit of special effects in that in that moment because absolutely Spielberg's it like never lingers on a shot long enough for it to look shit and fake. It's incredibly well like done. Like it almost yeah. gets there a, a, a couple of times, and like you can you can see that it's not real, but you your brain doesn't have time to really like put those shots together into cohesive thing that says that's a prosthetic. It's yeah. just, it's really, it's really well done. Everything in this movie is really well done. So I think it's pretty smoothly edited. I think it's pretty key there. You know, the best effect in the world can look like garbage if you just, even a fraction yeah. of timing is out. Or You know, the problem with movie stabbing in general is always that the person being stabbed doesn't do what real people getting stabbed do. And that under undermines a lot of the realism, which kind of takes you out of the real fear of being stabbed. It's where slashes fall down a lot of the time is that for the audience, for me in particular, there's no real fear of the vicarious stabbing because it looks so fake all the time. And I think they circumnavigated this because we know that if you get stabbed in the eye, you don't just hold your eye in place and take the stabbing, do you? you flail around like a lunatic and you pull your head around and you freak out, etc., etc. So the fact that they edit it so that, that felt naturalistic mm. is, you know, a, a gargantuan feat of movie making to make me really believe that guy got stabbed in the eye and then had the socket licked by crazy little Baba Demon Man is, uh, you know, that, that's pretty special. I, there's also another shot that's like this, which is where I think it's Apo and he vomits. Mm. And it's incredible. And there are no cuts. And I really believe that that vomit just came out of him. There's two puke scenes. Well, there's three puke scenes mm. in this movie, I think. The first puke scene is uh, Safi in the toilet. Yeah. And then I thought it was... Yavuz who puked later on but somebody pukes for real somebody actually does a real puke because you can tell the difference right you're a pro yeah I've done a lot of puking at train stations on Sunday mornings yep I've, I've both puked a lot and seen a lot of puking and I've seen a lot of movie puking and the two things that piss me off more than anything in movies is fake smoking and fake puking yeah smoke for real puke for real that's my Put that on my people, people who hold a cigarette and it's like you've never held a cigarette in your life. You have that just looks unnatural in your hands. Yeah, but also like, how can you say you're a professional if you run up to a toilet with your cheeks bulging and you just spit the sick into the toilet and then make some noises? Give me real sick any day of the week. You can see it come up from the stomach and out through the mouth, and that's what I paid my 
Uh, I didn't pay anything for this. But that's what I pay for, is to see real people do real sick. Yeah. Um, so much respect to this film for doing real sick at least once. I am interested. Can, if you're out there, get in touch. Let us know. Is that a guy really being sick? It better be. Absolutely better be. I mean, it doesn't have to be. my rating. It does have to be, Jamie. Don't say is, that. Is it, it does. Is it not enough that it looks incredibly convincing? Yeah. I think it's okay. more if, impressive. If it's, if it's fake, I'm astonished. Yeah. Look at it that way. It's more impressive if, if it's a fake sick. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. We we both know how we feel. Yeah. Thoroughly sick. Come on, man. Does that thing even work? No. There's nothing out there. It's just dead air. We go into this incredible location you know this ottoman era police station which is alternately lit as like blue gray monolithic stone structure Mm. and then at times red and creepy as hell and there's a lost doomed policeman slowly banging his head against the wall and gibbering with blood running down his face and it's it's one of the creepiest set pieces i've seen in a movie in a long time and i'm teed up for this long labyrinthian journey down into the bowels of this this place where horrible things have happened and where you know obviously turkish police doing horrible things to people since the ottoman empire has infested this building with evil or created a portal or something and what we end up getting is some slightly silent hill-esque people wrapped in plastic writhing around and jerking quickly and i just don't find stuff like that scary at all i think as Mm. soon as you wrap plastic around a human i'm out it just bores me what what are your thoughts? You you must have seen a lot of people, a lot of flesh wrapped in plastic in your time, Jamie. What are you what are you thinking at this point in the movie? Hold my hands up here and be honest. I remembered this the last third of this movie very differently. Mm-hmm. I had pictured like Satan's Hollow, Doom, Eternal style, like grew dripping from the walls. Everything feels a bit organic. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like that. I just remembered it wrong. I think I, I think I superimposed my idea of hell over the end of this movie. It's kind of the point, right? Yeah, but not on the screen. It's not that isn't on the screen. So it sort of surprised me again mm. when I was like, "Oh, it's just a place." I mean, I I buy all the jerky writhing stuff. Like I've we've seen it a lot, but it but it works. I think there's a way of making people look really demonic and weird, and it's put a bag over their head and cover them in goop and. Make them jiggle around. I, I think in that situation, this is the only point in the movie where I was like, I'd just walk through that. <laughs> it makes me think of, you know, cheesy scare nights where you go to a field and people jump out at you. To me, it's that. Like, oh, I'll just walk through it. Doesn't fucking, no one's going to hurt you. Well, so I, I experience those very differently. I get terrified at like Halloween Horror Nights or whatever. There was a moment in the Ghostbusters scare maze a couple of years ago where I make cars walk in front of me because she's shorter than me. So she walks behind me. You can still me. see. You've yeah. got a meat shield, but you can still see. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but like we're in this Ghostbusters scare maze and all the lights went off for, I don't know, felt like 40 years, probably two seconds. Mm-hmm. And they came back on and there was just a dude stood in front of cars. And she was <laughs> so scared that she cried. It was amazing. <laughs> I love these two. I, I go to I go to my local... Scarefest, it's called Scaresville at Kentwell Hall, and it's great. But there's always key moments where I just completely check out of the 
the how much you invest in it, how much you want to be there. And you if you don't buy in, right, those things suck. If, if you're just in a bad mood or you've got a headache or something, you can't quite get there. Same as sex, I guess. It's like if you're not into it, it's no fun. So you have to buy into the max and I'll buy into the max and I'm, I'm absolutely there for the most part. As soon as someone wrapped in plastic or a guy in a clown mask comes out, I'm like, oh, fucking hell, I'm in a field. I'm 38 years old. I'm walking around a field. Someone's shouting at me in a fucking mask. And I just get really depressed. So if you can take that out of this movie and out of horror in general, please, all directors, I'm in. I'm in for the max. (laughs) But uh, until then, until this trope is gone, I'm just bummed. Like, it's a personal thing. It just does nothing for me. So, like... I feel like this is like a fundamental difference between me and you because I don't get scared watching horror films and sometimes you do. Oh, sometimes? Are you kidding me? Yeah. If it's a good horror movie, I'm scared from start to finish. But I am terrified in these quote-unquote real-life situations. There was a moment, there was a night, at Halloween Horror Nights, where outside of the context of scare mazes, they have these like scare zones where mm. they have different people in like different themed costumes. A bunch of them had fake chainsaws. And one of them jumped out at me with their fucking fake chainsaw. And it scared me so bad that I I think I had, like, very minor PTSD. Like, any time I heard a chainsaw, I would shit myself. (laughs) And we had to just go home. I'm not not (laughs) laughing at you. No, I mean, it's funny. I kind of am. It's funny. It's funny. But, like, I I was so scared and so horrified by the sound of chainsaws. And they were also right in front of the gate. So we had to like walk a stupid way to avoid them. And then there was a bit, there was a day when we were in a different part of the park because I always avoided that scare zone because right. those chainsaw folk were horrible and terrifying. They are incredibly loud, those fake chainsaws. They're exactly. just, you know, freewheeling, revving engines. They're yeah. really loud. And so we were in a different section where there was other scary stuff happening, but it was, I could deal with it. There was like yeah. a, a level of, I was terrified, but I could deal with it. And Mm. then I walked around a corner and one of these chainsaw guys out of his zone jumped out at me with his chainsaw. I almost, I almost flattened him. I almost jumped into the lake and killed myself. (laughs) It's a lot. Shit yourself, flatten him, jump into the lake and kill yourself. (laughs) Like it was, it was horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's out in, in, in America. You could sue him for all he's worth <laughs> for being out of his zone. No, I hear you. That we, we are fundamentally different there because I will get so scared of horror movies that I'll have to have a little reality check and turn the light on for a minute and walk around and sit back down. <laughs> Whereas at these things, I have to work really hard just to even fucking be there, just to be present. Some some bits scare me more than others. Like when you're going, there's a barn and it's all done up like a dark maze inside and people just do things like bang on the walls and, mm. you know, there's there's dry ice and it's foggy and creepy and it's all the stuff I'm scared of in movies as well. But I feel like I'm in it. I'm really there. As soon as there's a guy in a jumpsuit and a mask and a chainsaw, I'm like, well, he can't touch me. He's not allowed because this is all fake. And I'm out of it immediately. I can't control that invasive realism. <laughs> I need to, <laughs> need to work on that, I think, because it's the opposite with movies. I think that's why I love horror movies so much is I still get that kick of genuine fear whereas paying money to have a failed actor shout Latin at me in a a dark barn is you know something I can live without I think um I agree about guys in suits there was like a stranger things maze and it was like people dressed as the characters and it's like you're obviously not him like I I can see you you're not Dustin I hope you said that to the Dustin I didn't I scampered through because there was also scary shit happening. But yeah. 
the people in suit stuff that really worked for me, particularly this uh, this year, the the year of Halloween Horror Nights that I'm talking about. Mm. There was an Us maze, and there was a um, a Killer Clowns from Outer Space maze. Oh, cool! And they both used this exact same trope, but it worked all five times I went through both of those mazes. <laughs> oh my god, what was it? So, like at the end of Us, have you seen Us? Yeah. So at the end of Us, they do that Hands Across America thing. Uh-huh. And so they had loads of mannequins in like the us outfits, all holding hands, and you have to walk past them. But I don't know every sixth person was a real dude that would like, Bleh. yeah. And obviously that's scary because someone's going Bleh, at you. Obviously they probably made a better noise than that. I'm not. I, that's why I don't get the Universal dollars. But you're not a trained scarer. No, and it was the same in the Killer Clowns one. There was like they were sort of dotted around the room, and there were loads. Of, they were obviously. Very still mannequins. They could have all mm. been people, just to make it great. Uh, I didn't memorize the the formation. Uh, every couple of dudes was a was a dude, and right. they, and they that again. And that got you good every time you went through. Absolutely, because holy it, it, crap! W- I would say it was worse the second or third time because because I because I knew it was coming and I was just yeah I was braced anticipating for it. And and then it happened anyway. It, it still scared me, despite the fact that I was braced. Also, so those guys are like, "Fucking hell, this is his fifth time. You think you'd see it coming by right now?" Also, there was like an off-brand, like the Abyss uh, undersea monster type. It was kind of like the the thing, but underwater, right? Maze. And there was like a a, a thing that came down from the roof that was like a monster, and it was clearly just a guy's hand in a cost in like a little puppet thing. Yeah, but he just wouldn't stop going, and I just couldn't get past. And the and the staff member, the, who also were there to give you that little reality check, but they they were like, "You need to go. You're holding up the line." I was like, "I can't go. The the guy's doing his thing." And they're like, "You need to go like, under." You have it. to walk through it. It's <laughs> it's not real. But it was it was a real guy. He was fully yeah. gibbering with his fucking hand. Did you? So this is Halloween Horror Nights at Universal. Yeah, I went to that last year as well. This was 2019. Oh, okay. So I went last year and uh, we were on tour. It was our one day off. It was Halloween night and we went and did the Halloween haunted house. And we queued for two hours in the baking, stifling heat in that weird like back lot area that doesn't feel like Disney. It's just like booming, distant music and, Mm. you know, sad people sitting around on the floor. I had to summon all of my, you know, resolve and I dug deep into my terror reserves to stay in the game for two fucking hours before we went into this house. And it was probably over in about four minutes. Yeah, I think so. We bought frequent fright passes or whatever, so we could go as many times as we wanted over the two week period that we were in Florida. And um, we went on Halloween and it was absolutely categorically the worst night. Yeah, it was rough. Because everyone's like, oh, it's Halloween. Let's go to Halloween Horror Nights. Like, like, yeah, fair dues, but also I'm on holiday and I'm more important than you. <laughs> so move out of the way. I tell you, the person who got it right, it turns out, was Toby Jegg of Red Scare Industries, who nice. was present for this trip and who went on, I don't know, maybe maybe no rides, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure, who just walked around and drank the whole time and went and watched the dragon shoot fire in the Harry Potter thing and did maybe like a couple of vaguely universalish things but for the most part was just cane and white claws 
and got so hammered that he tried to call an Uber from the center of uh, Universal <laughs> Studios, which is impossible, and disappeared. And we saw him about 45 minutes later walking around staring at his phone with the Uber on it and a burger in his hand saying he was trying to find the exit. So Toby fucking nailed it. We stood around for two hours waiting for a three-minute walk around kind of a haunted house, and he had the time of his life. So much respect to you, Mr. Jig. I think the absolute best use of your time at Halloween Horror Nights is ride the mummy ride over and over and over again because there's no queue. Yeah, we did the mummy ride first of all because there was nobody there and it was really good. It's the the greatest ride known to man. The flame ceiling? Oh, awesome. absolutely love it. A very good ride, yeah. To, to be fair, I don't want to talk shit about the, the actual haunted house because I think if I hadn't waited two hours for it and felt like I was putting two bands through waiting two hours for it <laughs> to go through it then I, I would have thought it was incredible you get to stand outside the Myers house mm. and, and it's built in such a clever way that it feels like a full size it feels like the Myers house it feels that big and it's obviously not which is really clever but you're only there for a, a, you know a couple of seconds and someone ushers you onto the next bit yeah but there's some great stuff like Michael pops out in really convincing movie-like ways. Whoever's playing Michael is, is absolutely perfect. You get a Sam Loomis look-alike. You get loads of cool stuff in this in this house. And you get to walk around what feels like real-life Haddonfield, which is incredible. But it was over way too quickly. It was way too short. I think that's the that's the vibe on those. But yeah, not going on Halloween is the trick. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the one. We thought we were being, you know, we thought, yes, it's Halloween, let's go. We went out for Mexican food beforehand. And we, we all got there like super pumped to to fully razz Universal on Halloween. It was like, oh, okay, this is literally the end of Baskin, it turns out. <laughs> Everywhere you go, it's uh, eye-gouging hell. There's a there's another, like, scare attraction in... Is it in, like, Kizumi or some, like, little podunk bumfuck around Orlando? Yeah. And they have a buried, a buried alive simulator. Oh, my God, you put like You put, like, 50 cents in this thing and it, and it simulates the... The experience of being buried alive is categorically the most horrible thing I've ever done in my life. What the fuck are you in? Like a what, like a glass box or something? What happens? You're in a, you're in a coffin. Oh, good. <laughs> you don't go anywhere. It just sort of it, it's magic. Not many things that start with you're in a coffin anywhere. <laughs> that sounds rough as guts. And again, it's like you're you're expecting it to be horrible. Hmm. And then it's horrible in an entirely different way, which is a thing that happens in Baskin. So yeah. as as they're driving towards what's the place called Inside Jack or something like that, uh, as they're driving the crime it, scene, yeah, yeah, it's called what Inside Jack. Well, this, this is the this is one of the pivotal points in the plot, right? The, these cops are radioed as backup to go to this town to attend to some sort of unknown crime, yeah, and that's how they end up. Uh, you know, being blown off the road and wandering to this abandoned police station. But yeah, so before they get blown off the road, you you know they're driving down this horrible dark road. You know that something's going to jump out and scare them. Mm-hmm. And you're waiting for it. The, sh- the the shot is framed, so you're over everybody's shoulders. You're, the the centre of the windscreen is directly in front of you. Yep. And you're just waiting for it, and you wait for it for... Again, an inappropriately long amount of time. <laughs> yeah. And then it just doesn't happen. The shot changes yeah. and boom, it happens. Mm-hmm. They all get out of the van and they have a look around and there's a bunch of fucking frogs and no little naked dude that jumped in front of the van, which I'm guessing, again, 
is Baba. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's loads of frogs. Maybe all the frogs jump together. They get back in the van, they drive two feet, and then they smack into a dude and drive into the yeah. lake. It's It just blows your mind. It's like, it's so <laughs> absolute bait and switch, and then bait, and then whammo. It's a real, like, stutter step action sequence that that does totally put you on the back foot for what comes next, which is just a uh, a dip in the pace again. You've got long lulls and kind of hypnotic journey feelings and people saying things like, it feels like we've been on this road for 10 years. And then wham, 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 and then nothing. Yeah. And it's just, that's not, again, that's not an accident. That's artfully crafted. We've got um, Yava's drawing a dick on the window. Loved that. Yep, superb. Never comes back. Means well, nothing, I, I don't think. Like It's, it's, it's just, just a little insight into his character. Yeah, just yeah. like, he's a shitty little dickhead. Yep. One of my favourite scenes in this movie is one of my favourite scenes in every movie that it happens in is the displaced people around a campfire in the wilderness of a really scary place. Mm. (laughs) I love that as a thing in movies. And that whole scene for me was just drenched in unease. It was the beginning of the end as far as what I liked in the movie is concerned. And for me, it's like the last scene where I'm pretty much certain that everyone's going to die before Mm. everyone goes to hell. I love those characters. I thought they did a great job. Most of them wordlessly. Uh, but there's the one guy who leads them to the police station who runs away and says, fuck the police, which I knew you'd love. <laughs> I did love that. But again, you know, the lead into this final location is is great for me. And the location is kind of the star of the movie in a lot of ways, as far as I'm concerned. You know, an abandoned Ottoman police station in the middle of fucking nowhere, yeah. surrounded by, you know, creepy people living by bonfires next to rivers with a million frogs. It's... It's got so many fairy tale overtones, but it's so drenched in this religious symbolism that the whole time you just feel like you're slowly being put through a mangle. It's brilliant. Yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about the religious and folklore-based stuff? Sure. I did a bunch of research, and I landed on a bunch of stuff that said that this is a, a an allegory or a, a story that's sort of based in uh, Zoroastrianism. Mm. Uh, but I didn't really know what that was. It's not something that I'm massively familiar with. But I did a bunch of reading and I understood that like these characters are meant to represent these people from this religion, this sort of super, super old religion that basically predates most other religions at this point. Yeah, it's an ancient monotheistic Iranian yeah. religion, right? And so like their, the, the, the presentation of, of Baba in this is similar to their presentation of like the, the anti-god the devil. Mm, the godant. Yeah, the godant. Not Tarambaba. Not Tarambaba. A different one. Yeah, so the, the, the baddie in Zoroastrianism. <laughs> the baddie. Yeah. yeah. I find also a lot of stuff that refers to Tarambaba as this sort of folklore creature in Turkish folklore that steals children. Yeah. And I guess that's meant to be like uh, how Baba is presented in this. Like I think, I think obviously the the dream sequence that we see at the beginning, or the sequence that we see at the beginning that we later discover to be a dream sequence, I think is 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 meant to show that Baba is tries to tries to take Arda at that point, fails, and then has ultimately been chasing him his entire life. And that's the impression I got. Yeah, and and Renzi's been ultimately protecting him and mm. keeping him one step ahead of Baba. The issue with this Taran Baba 
story that I found referenced in a bunch of places. I could only ever find reference to it in pages that were published after this movie was released. And it, Interesting. in any of my usual sort of folklore sources, I can't find any reference to Tarambaba at all. And it's absolutely the kind of folklore that would break through. Child-stealing demons is such mm. a trope of, like, worldwide folklore. Yeah. Obviously, there's, there's, there's hundreds of them. I made a little list here. But you've got the Lamia, you've got the Calipillet, you've got the Kurtik, you've got Basti, you've got Kikimora, you've got Krampus, you've got Lamashtu, you've got Namahaga, you've got Moloch. You just, it's, there's hundreds and hundreds more. And I who's could, your favourite? I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of a Krampus. Yeah, you love a Krampus. I do. I also like the Lamia. I'll take a Moloch any day of the week. Yeah? Give me a right good mollicking. I do love Krampus. Yeah. As a big fan of German markets, I can tell you I've seen my fair share of Krampus. Krampi. But I mean, I, yeah, I found it quite hard to find anything with any kind of serious veracity backing up some of the mad claims I read online about yeah. this movie. But I wouldn't say I did research. I just kind of Googled some random bits and tried to string something together. But... The Zoroastrian, Zoroastrianism connection seems pretty strong, and yeah. it does seem that this movie is rooted, at least in a lot of its imagery and some of the narrative turns, in, you know, at least reference to that religion, which I like. I think it works. It's better for me that way than just this is a bit in the movie where everyone goes to hell and it's all horrible torture porn. Yeah, I can see that. I just found it so weird that all these people are talking about Tarambaba, and I can't mm. find any reference to it. Like it really Maybe that's how, you know, urban legends are born. <laughs> these people are obviously getting it from somewhere. Maybe each other. And it annoys me that I just can't find out where that is. Did you try Googling Tarambaba? I did try Googling Tarambaba. I also looked on Wikipedia where the page had been removed because there was no citations. <laughs> there you fucking go. And like I looked through all of the books of like Balkan, all of I've got two books on, on Balkan folklore. Yeah. Nothing specifically around Turkey. But I looked at a bunch of like world folklore books. Mm. And like like I say, it's it's absolutely the sort of thing that would break through. Like mm. people love a story of a child stealing demon. Oh god, yeah, especially one that does it in your dreams. Are you kidding me? Where the fuck did Freddy Krueger come from? Literally. That kind of thing. Do yeah. You know what I mean? So like the idea that I couldn't find anything. I like and everything that I could find literally was was dated after the after the release of this movie. I just don't know. I would love it if there was someone out there who could tell me that it is real and that it is based in real folklore and maybe it just hadn't crossed over. But in a world of the internet where every mm. book is translated or translatable, mm. but I, I, I did a LexisNexis search, which basically searches through hundreds and hundreds of newspaper archives. Did you ask Jeeves? I didn't ask Jeeves. I did. I did a um, a pretty in depth literature search using all of the libraries that I have access to through my job, mm-hmm. and not one mention of Tarambaba outside of stuff that was posted after this movie. The, the stuff that I did <laughs> find that was posted after this movie's release date was like Russian, and it was part of a song, and the song was about how much fun we're having, and it's like. <laughs> It was just like it's like a almost like a scat noise of just like joy, glee. I'm gonna go as far as to say that you have gone to incredible lengths to for some reason 
verify the existence of Terran Berber. Because Against I love shit like that. All odds, there is nothing to suggest that this is real except some reviewers. Yeah, I mean, there are pages that, that aren't Baskin related that, that mention it. But again, they are no. posted after the release date of this film. And I mean, I, I I went to these great lengths because I really wanted it to be true. And I just wanted there to be yeah. another cool bit of folklore that I wasn't aware of that I could dig into. And it would have some amazing imagery next to it. There's a really amazing piece of, of sort of... Um, I can't remember if it's Turkish or Balkan folklore that I stumbled on today. It's like a frog demon that if you annoy it by swimming all weird, it'll it'll drown you. So don't don't be a dick when you're in the water. Don't swim weird. Yeah, like don't anger the 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 doyenov. I mean, it might not be called that. Something like that. But don't I love ang- it. I love frogs and I love giant frogs. Yeah. And I love real life frogs and especially in D and D, a giant frog is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite mythical creatures. I, I I did a bit of research into some of the shots and some of the things I liked about the movie to see if any of it was rooted in anything deeper because I was struggling to connect thematically some of the some of the key action points with some of the character motivation and some of the the resolution essentially of the movie. I couldn't quite figure out if I was being thick and just not connecting stuff or if maybe there was a little bit of grind in in some of the themes. And I found that in Zoroastrian, I guess, mythology, there is such a thing as a bridge of judgment that leads mm. souls to the land of the dead. Uh, and then a demon appears and takes souls to the house of lies, which is sort of loosely related to hell. And uh, that, for me, kind of explained the tilting upside down bridge shot that that was them crossing over some kind of invisible barrier into the land of the dead slash hell, which I thought was really cool. If that's if that's intended and it's not me just, you know, putting icing on icing, then, yeah, I think that's pretty great. I read a bunch of this stuff too, and I think that's what Kyle Evernall was going for. Mm. And it's sort of lovely. I mean, it feels religious, even when you're just watching it and you have no idea. I can't imagine too many people are watching this going, oh, yeah, this is... Zoroastrianism, yeah. but it still feels sort of uniquely religious. It also feels way more satanic than any other movie about Satan or about like demons. Like it just has this ominous, hanging presence of evil. I also wasn't really convinced that they'd gone to hell, though. I thought these people could just be there. You know, they could just be in that building, actually on the material plane, in the world that we live in doing fucked up shit in the basement of an abandoned building. I, I didn't feel transported, unfortunately. Well, I think that's that's addressed by Baba in the film, isn't it? Hell isn't a place that you go. You carry hell with you always. Yeah, but I thought that was him saying, you're manifesting this hell in your mind. Or, or this, what's happening around you now is a, a an inaction of your, you know, your religious debt in that you have sinned and you are being punished for it. But I don't know. That, I mean, there's endless possibilities there, really, isn't there? Yeah, I think the the strapline or like the the blurb on the back of the DVD or on all websites where this is streaming or IMDb or whatever, there are no qualms about it. It's it's going to hell. But I think mm. when you watch the film, there is a level of well, it could be this or it could be that. Mm. It could be a bunch of fucked up people doing horrible things, or it could be a bunch of fucked up demons doing horrible things. Yeah. That's where I struggled. Or it could be real hell, or it could be all in the mind of Arda, who is fucked up in his own way. And that's the thing about 
the whole dream slash flashback slash dream within a dream narrative going on in this movie is that in all honesty on one watch I don't think anyone can be expected to know where they stand at the end of it unless you're the sharpest viewer going it's really hard to track where you are and I'm not saying that as a criticism I love movies that essentially disregard the orientation of the audience and just you know spins you around sees where you pop out I think that's great as a device but I do like to really know I'm in hell when I'm in hell. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I don't want to just walk down some stairs and be like, okay, there's some slightly weird looking people doing horrible things in a basement because that could be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That could be, you know, anything where you go from something outside that feels quote unquote normal to something inside that feels horrible. For me, a, a cynical take on the end of this movie is that it's a cop out. Is that a pun? <laughs> yeah, it's a cop out. Literally. It's fucking ripping a cop's guts out is what it is. It's, so if, if I'm being really cynical, then it's it's the ultimate cop-out because it feels to me like they've written and directed a, a very layered, clever, psychological, religious horror thriller with stunning visuals that gets to a point where it can't be resolved, so they go into a basement and start stabbing each other in the eyes, fucking goats and ripping each other's guts out. It feels like we're undermining everything we've built so far because we can't resolve, so we're going to throw a load of gory horror tropes into the mangler and see what comes out the other end. That's the most cynical view of it I can possibly take. And that leaves you feeling let down and it just feels like freak show gore. The other end of that is that it's an incredibly clever manifestation of the individual hells of the collective cops and their demented psyche and the fact that the idea of cops is fucked the idea of the you know the, the hierarchical power dynamic the rigid and thoughtless enforcement of arbitrary rules societal control corruption all of that stuff manifested into a small room full of horrible stuff happening but i feel like that's a little bit generous to be totally honest it felt like a mystery that couldn't be solved so here's a shit show what's your take it is a mystery that can't be solved I think you can you can solve it if you sit down and think about it. But like a lot of people don't experience films like that. Mm. A lot of people watch a film and go, oh, that's finished now, <laughs> and move on with their lives. Unlike us. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the great things about having these conversations with you, is that it forces you to think differently, or like critically, and try and understand what's happening in a film. I don't think that this film is meant to be solved. I don't think that you're meant to understand what is happening in this weird sort of circular narrative. Mm -hmm. Like, did they ring for their own backup? Like, oh, wow. I hadn't even, this is it. See, I hadn't even thought of that. That's incredible. Because when they get there, the guy has no... He's not coherent, so he can't tell them that, yes, he called them for backup. Yeah. Fuck you now, Jamie. <laughs> Could be. Shit. And like, obviously, Arda is the one that gets hit by the van that forces yeah. them into the the, the lake. But oh, then when them it goes calling into the lake, for their the own backup makes this five times scarier to me. I just got a real chill go down my spine. That's the kind of thing that creeps me out in ways I can't even explain. Oh, talk about illustrate your point. Yes, that's the importance of discussing a movie after it's over because you realise shit that you never even dreamed of when you're watching well, it. Like you don't see it happen. Like mm. they're, they're trying to call for backup at one point and the, yeah. the radio isn't working. So my legs jiggling uncontrollably <laughs> at the thought of this new spin. 
see it's it's layers like that that make this movie work because you want to talk about it you want to and i agree i don't think it is supposed to be resolved the nature of it being so cyclical the fact that arda you know the van runs over a guy they go through hell arda runs out into the road and is run over by the same van you know that is unresolvable because that is that is cyclical by nature but there's so much happening that layers up to that point if you don't stop and and discuss it at the end of the movie I don't think you're going to have a satisfying experience of watching it. It's just the hell bit that bums me out. <laughs> Everything else I thought was genuinely masterful. Yeah. Well, so like some people have pointed out that when the when the van is in the water in the shot at the end, there are no people in it. But I didn't buy that really. Me neither. I mean, I just I, I I saw it as that they got out of the van and they had gone back into the hell and they were just living this hell. Yeah. On a loop forever. Yeah, because that's no, what hell is. Yeah, no hope of escape, no resolution, no yeah. nothing. Yeah, absolutely. That didn't necessarily play into the fact that we're kind of supposed to believe that Arda has killed Baba, uh, or at least vanquished in some way Baba. But for, but for me, it doesn't matter if you kill the devil; you stay in hell. Yeah, <laughs> like you're still you're still there. And I think for for a director who I know so little about, apart from this movie. But he he shows us so much that we're really supposed to see. I think if that van was supposed to be empty, we'd get a shot of the empty van from the inside. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think they've left the van to go to the campfire by the time that shot pans around. But again, totally open to speculation, which is why it's so cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just, I think it doesn't make sense to me for a cyclical narrative like this to be Mm. resolved so quickly. No. Like we've only just discovered the the cyclical narrative, and now it's it's sorted. Like mm. it's that feels cheap to me. Yeah, and I don't think it's a movie that that generally up until this point has taken a you know the cheap toll road. Yeah, so if that is the case, I'll just choose to not believe it. Yeah, I, I think I would do the same. I choose to not believe that the final third of this movie is a cop out, and it and that it is just gore for gore's sake, and that it's played to win over an American audience who wants to watch an entire movie and will sit through, you know, long ponderous scenes to get to a gory payoff. I think there may be an element of that, but I would rather focus on everything else in the movie than let that bum me out. And I think it does so much so well that that, that final bit that isn't to my taste, who cares? Still great. Rad. Right, why don't we take a little break, we'll come back, we'll rate it, and we'll say so long to Baskin. Let's do it. Whoa! Whoa, shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. On what scale are you rating Baskin and what do you rate it as? I'm going to rate it on the seven circles of hell. Okay. And I'm going to give it five circles of hell. If you were asking me just for the first two thirds of the movie, it'd get all seven circles. The end of the movie, I know I've hung up on it a little bit, but it's not like I'm crying. <laughs> An emotional moment. Um, <laughs> I, I do think it's excellent. The end of the movie, the final section, I think for, for gore fans and people who love this kind of horror movie, I think it's absolutely flawless. You're totally right. The character of Baba is convincingly evil, demonic. The close-up shots of his lips moving as he talks, the softness of his voice, the kind of attentive, almost stoned way that he commits 
horribly graphic acts of violence on people very very gently really unnerving i think a thing that's really unnerving as well is when when yazov is having sex with the goat person mm. he's just so encouraging oh he's really into it he tells him not to let him down yeah helps him get a stiffy i mean oh, the, the worst bit of all that is all the like bag-headed you know plastic clad writhing minions are all like masturbating and licking eggs and stuff like that's so <laughs> gross see but all of this stuff puts you in a place that's very uncomfortable and that's what the movie does from start to finish in lots of different ways it is a masterclass in discomfort from front to back for me yeah it's really tastefully shot it has lots of unsettling narrative jumps that i find really pleasing that would maybe frustrate some audiences but i think it's it's really well done Eerie, sometimes surreal, ticking a lot of boxes for me. A fun, breadcrumby plot about a bunch of crooked cops. Again, just smashing it. Feels exotic because it's Turkish and it's uh, it's showing you things that you wouldn't normally see in a movie of this type from a you know a Western studio, for example. My favourite thing about the movie maybe is how shadow is used as much as light. It's mm. shadow is is his best friend in this movie. It's shot at night, obviously. So to create those shadows, it's all artificial light. It's just very cleverly done, a dreamscapey feel to a genuinely terrifying film. I'm giving it five circles of hell. Not one that I would rush to watch again, but one that I definitely enjoyed every painful second of. Nice. What about you, Jamie? What are you rating this on? How do you feel about it? What are your sum up thoughts? Okay, so, I mean, I have a complex relationship with this film in that it is incredible and makes me feel horrible and bad about myself. (laughs) <laughs> and and weird it does everything that it wants to do mm-hmm. can and co have set out to make a movie that just makes you feel completely off kilter and wrong and like it doesn't end with the credits like you don't you don't stop feeling weird when the credits roll yeah like it sits with you it, it sits on your chest like a sleep paralysis demon mm-hmm. just keeps going for ages and ages, just lingering, niggling in the back of your head, like, ooh, remember that bit? Ooh. I couldn't go felt. to bed. I had to watch the start of another movie until I was really tired and then go to bed. Like, it just keeps... It's 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 the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> what a gift. Yeah. It's a huge, rock-solid baby log dropped out of a goat woman's ass. I think that there are, there are moments in this that you just can't forget. Like, when... Most times when you see people slit people's throats in movies, it's like a nice quick whoosh, and then you get a second of relief, and then the blood comes. But not in this. Like, he is going at his, Renzi's throat. Yeah. He's, like, just, like, hacking at it slowly. It's Just really attentively soaring at it. It's so yeah. unnerving. Just keeps I- going and going and doesn't. You don't get, there's no sense of relief at any point of this movie, especially not when the credits roll and it's that mm. weird, intense, like industrial come to daddy by Aphex Twin esque music. Yeah. That's like, you're meant to feel that relief because it's over, but instead, someone's just yelling at you in robot. <laughs> it's like you've been beaten up at the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like you've been beaten up. And then someone else comes along and kicks you in the head and steals your wallet. And then someone else just like presses all the bruises and follows yeah. you around, like flicking you and stuff. Yeah, it's 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 got a nagging kind of terror. Yeah, it just keeps going. So I am rating this movie on Bucket of Frogs. Mm-hmm. And it is an absolute 
jam-packed, overflowing bucket of frogs for me. Uncountable frogs. Yeah. They're all there, writhing around all weird, looking pretty similar to the demons all wriggling around in their own goop. Horrible, (laughs) horrible, horrible, horrible. I love it. For you to say horrible that many times makes me think that maybe we're at the extreme end of Jamie's taste. Is that true? Or is this is this your big MacGuffin? Is this how you get me? I mean, I watch and enjoy films that you would think are more fucked up than this. But mm. this, I don't know, films like Flower of Flesh and Blood or August Underground's Mordom or like those films that, that are more horrible than this in the moment, they don't stay with you. Mm. You know that it's not real, even though mm. if you don't know in the moment it's not real. When it's when it ends, it's like, oh, I know that wasn't real. I can live my life. That wasn't a real snuff film, despite the fact it's presented like one. Sure. This, I mean, I know it's not real, but the the lingering dread that that sort of coats the the runtime keeps going, sticks yeah. with you for. I mean, it's been twenty four hours at this point. And maybe it's because I've had to think about it a lot and clarify my notes and then ultimately have this conversation with you, but it has absolutely stayed with me, that feeling. That sort yeah. of weird, chesty, ooh, here's some low-level anxiety. Yeah, I didn't have a great day. No, <laughs> me neither. But but I, I really respect that. Me too. That, that's what it's there for, right? Yeah, so few films can give you that. Hmm. It's true. For me, it's amazing to me how different types of horror films just fuck you up in different types of ways. I felt a similar kind of sickness after really going deep on movies like Cannibal Holocaust, Mm. but I could easily delineate between the two sort of full-body sensations that I got from the movies. Very different movies, obviously, but like similar ballpark feelings. It's, It's a bizarre thing to put yourself through. So I think Cannibal Holocaust reminds you that people equal shit mm-hmm. to paraphrase or not even paraphrased quote, <laughs> to directly quote <laughs> to directly quote Slipknot whereas like this movie I mean it reminds you that people are horrible but also that the world is big and full of horrible scary things that you don't understand and that you'll never truly know and understand yeah, it's that like yawning, unspooling, endless, unknown cosmic terror that you can't put your finger on. Yeah. That is mentioned in the movie, you know, this idea of unifying the cosmos. But we're not treated to any kind of cosmic horror, really, are we? We're just sort of kept really grounded in what could be a real world hell, which is twice as scary than any kind of Lovecraftian, you know, cosmic space demon. Baskin. Let's uh, let's let's never speak of this again. Yeah, let's go our separate ways. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Final Transmission. Uh, this has yep. been Baskin. You're welcome, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully, you've watched the film before listening to this. If you haven't, you're a dumbass. Good. But if if you have, we're we're, we're kind of sorry. Only as sorry as the filmmaker, I imagine, which isn't very sorry at all. Yeah. But if you enjoyed this and you want to support us, there's loads of ways that you can do that. You can sign up to our Patreon for just, what, £3, $3 a month? Yeah, you, you might as well. Come on. to that. What was the last thing you bought for three of your currency? 
probably something total garbage. Invest, invest in yourself. This is all you can't even get a flat people. white anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, full stop. As far as I'm concerned, uh, there's not a lot you can do with that much money. And let me tell you, there are worse places in the world to put it than our "Can We Make a Podcast Kitty?" Yeah, you could follow us on Instagram. That's uh, FT Horror Show. Do that now. Do it right now. Let Daddy see you do it now. Go on. Well done. Good work. <laughs> You've made me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You can fling us a review or even just a little rating on wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's just a little boop, five stars, if you if you think we're worth five stars. Boop. Say boop when you do it, definitely. Yeah. I always say boop when I press something. Boop. I make like a weird kind of robotic clicking sound normally. Give, give us a little demo. All right. Pretty good. Like a tiny little the- gun. Yeah, the best thing you can do is talk to people and tell them about this. If you like it, tell some people and yeah. force them to enjoy it. <laughs> if you watched Baskin because we watched Baskin, then it's your duty to get more people to watch Baskin. And if they've watched it, they might as well listen to this podcast. You're in the club now. If you did yeah. what we did, then we're in this together. If you're a Zoroastrian theologian or preacher or something, we're sorry. We probably got your religion all wrong. Uh <laughs> Yeah. But that's what we're here for. So And if you're I don't know, if you're super clued up on Turkish folklore and Taran Baba is a real thing, let me know. Please I'm, let Jamie know. Join us next time when we will be talking about Bad Dreams from nineteen eighty eight. One of my dubious favourites. Dubious favourites? What does that mean? I mean I mean I don't want to spoil it for you, Sam. I don't mm-hmm. want to ruin anything. I know how you like to go in fresh and clean. Damn right. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that next week. And it'll oh, be... what a cliffhanger. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Sam. And thank you, Baba, for listening. <laughs> Good night, Baba. Good night, Baba.